Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrew, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision-making. I'm here with Jordan Fermanis, Tom Spence and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing getting Russia wrong. Jordan, um, lead us in, tell us. So this topic comes from a blog post by Tyler Cohen on his blog called Marginal Revolution. Um, and it's about, it's, 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 it's about looking back um, in the lead up to the Russia, Ukraine, Russia's invasion of Ukraine um, and trying to see, uh, so he sort of sets out um, a list of, of IR experts International um, relations so called experts, international yeah. relations experts. Sorry, um, and and sort of sets out their predictions for whether or not Russia would invade Ukraine or not. Yeah, um, and then basically comes to the conclusion that most of the IR experts incorrectly say that Russia will not invade uh, invade Ukraine, yeah. and then goes into a list of possible explanations and reasons for why um, this might be the case, why these IR experts are get got that wrong. Um, and so I think we want to talk about the idea of prediction in, in geopolitics, yeah. um, but also look at perhaps his Tyler Cohen's specific analysis and the way that he tried to approach um, this, this, this problem. Because I think we might have issues with his analysis, right? Yes. And how he frames this. Well, let's go straight into it. Tom, what do you reckon to the article? So... I have a few issues with the article. Yeah. Um, I'm not some kind of uh, defender of international relations, uh, but I think the premise of the article uh, is flawed. Who's the bloke again? What's his name? His name is Tyler Cohen. He's what? an economist. Okay, right. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that reaction says it all. Excuse me. <laughs> but, I remember, but I remember, actually, because I got an MA in, in international relations, I remember an economist slagging off international relations. Was it, it me? Was, Probably no. me. Um, it was like in most economists talking a load of rubbish. Um, and just saying that, you know, IR was a soft, uh, was viewed in the economics uh, academic community as a soft option, as a well, soft subject. No, they don't, don't, they don't, don't, don't worry, Fraser. Yeah. I come from a natural sciences background and I can tell you we say the exact same thing about economists. <laughs> yeah, about any social science. And Yeah, there you go. Um, so, yeah, so, 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 okay, so he's really an economist. Yeah. Does he tend to talk about international relations or does he talk about all sorts? Like a lot of economists think he's qualified. So he's not talking about international relations. He's not, sorry. He's talking about well, well, international relations forecasters. Well, There's a big difference. Oh. He's not weighing in on international relations. He's saying, here's some experts, in inverted commas, and here's what they said, and lo and behold, a load of them are wrong. I'm pleased you said that, actually, because it's been ages since you and I have had a little tiff. So <laughs> I, I feel a little bit, oh, that feels a bit better. Uh, no, but it, it's just that no, this reminds you're, you're, me. You're, 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 you know, you're, you're, you're picking what sits, you know? You're no, no, splitting no. heads. This is, no, this is, it's like if, if someone says... Um, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm an expert at fixing ovens. Yeah. And you look at the last 10 ovens they've tried to fix and they haven't fixed any of them. Yeah. And I say, I don't think you're terribly good at fixing ovens. Okay. He might. And how would you feel then if he said, well, what do you know? You don't know anything about ovens. Yeah, you say, well, I don't need to. I can just look at your record with ovens and it's poor, right? It's perfectly good to have an opinion on how good a forecaster is even if you know nothing about the subject matter. I've forgotten okay. what, I've forgotten what. Do you I'm know just what? saying that, I'm just laying gonna, that I'm down. just going to agree with you because I forgot yeah, what the initial thing was. Well, because was. I'm right. Well, well over, to, over to, to Tom. Just yeah, to over, sort of, over yeah. to Tom. Um, so 
I do actually agree with Nick. I think you can judge how you, always do. you can judge how good a forecaster someone is without necessarily having subject matter expertise. However, I don't think that that is what Tyler Cohen has done in this article. Yeah. So he has essentially cherry picked a few examples. Yeah. He's he's actually got two examples here of IR professionals. Yeah. Uh, IR experts who are predicting things wrong. He then uh, has a few examples of people who are not IR experts who he says predicted it right. Yeah. Uh, and then he says. Well, I couldn't find any IR experts who predicted it right, so there must be none. I bet there are loads. Yeah, he didn't look yeah. very hard because um, you could look in the time frame he's talking about. Uh, foreign Policy published a survey uh, in which uh, which uh, surveyed international relations experts in which uh, more than half of them said Russia was going to invade Ukraine within a year. Um, if you want to look at further scales, you can go back to... That's, the, well, that's saying they're as good as a coin flip. Uh, well, so that's uh, not including the unsures. The people who said they wouldn't invade was only 20%. So it's actually, it's better than a coin flip okay, so on those who... More than half said they would and 20% said they would Yeah, I think it's about okay. 56% to 20% oh, with okay. the rest undecided. No, not bad. Yeah. Um, so uh, you can also look further back um, to literature since since 1994 onwards, really, uh, talking about you know, this peer-reviewed, well-regarded literature in the IR community, talking about how... Ukraine's border with Russia was likely to be a flashpoint in the future. Uh, so, first of all, I think he's very much cherry-picked in order to construct a narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, a proper analysis would look at how often uh, people were right versus how often they were wrong. Uh, and I think this comes into the very first sentence he uses in the article, which is, in proper Tetlockian fashion, I thought I would look back and consider how well IR experts did in the time leading up to the current war in Ukraine. Now, I'd say he what hasn't done Tetlock this. What does Ted Locke in me? What does that mean? So, Nick is probably best placed to explain Phil Tetlock. Uh, Phil Tetlock's one of my personal heroes. And um, he is the guy who, uh, f- well, he was the head of the Good Judgment Project, yeah. which was an attempt to um, measure, we essentially asked thousands of people to put probabilities on things. Yeah. So, you know, here's a scenario. How likely is it to occur? And then he looked to see what seemed to drive people's ability to put accurate numbers on those things um but actually that was the following on from about 20 years of work that he's done that he'd done which he published in a book called expert political judgment very much looking at this um but the key thing was he was giving people the scenarios so i think this is probably important i don't know if this is what tom's going to touch on but he was they generated the scenarios and gave them to people and said here's a scenario how likely is it it's a different situation when you're looking for things people have gone out of their way to tell you so if someone's written an article because they think something is important. Mm. Um, or conversely, know, that they think it's not important. Right. But I mean, if somebody's written an article saying Russia won't invade Ukraine, at the very least, they are looking at the issue of will, whether Russia will invade Ukraine. They're not looking at, um, you know, whether, whether Japan is going to, um, you know, re- recommence uh, large-scale whaling. I mean, they're looking at the right thing, but they and might the, be forming the wrong opinion. And that's why I think, for example, this survey that I looked at, is a lot more scientific mm. than uh, than this article um, because everyone was asked the same question. But crucially, what Taylor didn't do was go and find a few predictions, say, mm. these are right, therefore all predictions are right. Yeah. Or conversely, these are wrong, therefore all of them are wrong. Mm. Uh, Tetlock actually had methodology uh, that was mm. defensible. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also, uh, on a more general scale, one problem I have with the article is that international relations as a discipline isn't really in the business of making predictions 
It doesn't claim to be. It's a, it's a it? bit like saying to an economist, why did you not get the price of oil right last Friday? Mm. That's, it's an analyst's job to forecast events. An IRR theoretician's job is to uh, provide frameworks that explain why events happen and why cause and was this guy yeah, yeah. Um, so the guys that he picked and said oh look see this guy didn't get it were they so as you say they're international relation theorists let's say but were they people who were predicting saying there will not be a Russian invasion or was he just saying hey this guy didn't mention that it was going to happen no so he's picked a couple of people who specifically predicted we think nothing's going to happen. Okay. Uh, he also goes to great lengths to talk about how smart they are so that he can then say, look, the smart people got it wrong. Yeah. Um, this I sounds think there's, more like There's a, also a little yeah. bit of a no true Scotsman fallacy in here uh, with some of the people he mentions uh, that, uh, that did predict it. And then he says, ah, but of course the IR community doesn't take them seriously. Okay. Um, again, with no real evidence backing it up. So I think what we should talk about here is how can you actually say if predictions were good if a discipline or a group is good at predicting things which very much comes down to phil tetlock's methodologies okay good um so you've you've both led us nicely in there with the article and um we've already debunked that article fine well um, I, I don't I, I don't, let's not be as let's try not to be simplistic i mean look there's what there is it is the case that i mean the one of the things that tetlock found uh was that expertise is uncorrelated actually yeah. with mm. with forecasting ability yeah. right um now i think one completely legitimate criticism of the good judgment project is that um it perhaps made a bit too much of forecasting the reason that it focused on forecasting is because you measure it you can ask someone for a number and then you can say this happened or it didn't happen. It's actually not even as straightforward as that because it's sometimes it's quite hard to find out if something happened. But um, just put that aside for one sec. It measured the most measurable thing about analysis, which is, you know, here's a scenario. What probability do you put on it? You get a high score if you were had a high probability of something that happened and a low score if you put a low probability on it. And then you work out who scored most highly. That's all great. Um, there's a whole bunch of other things of involved with being an expert that Tetlock didn't try to measure and has assiduously avoided pronouncing on, um, which is, do they add value in other ways? Tom touched on this question of uh, kind of understanding. They have models of understanding the world, um, which, you know, might might be helpful in some way. However, I think, and I think this is Tyler's, Tyler Cohen's point here, um, you know, actually, what's the point in having all those models if they don't help you be right more often about the world? I mean, so even though he's making the point clumsily, there is a point there to be made, um, which is, it, you know, if at the end of the day, you're not you're no better than the man in the street at saying whether Russia is going to invade a neighboring country. What is the point of all that expertise? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. OK, um, I, I'm not saying there isn't one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I'm saying is, what is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jordan? And I think on predictions, um, even though international relations experts, might, it might not be sort of what they're best placed to do, um, and we might sort of assume that they don't hold much meaning, um, I think prediction and forecasting is important in the way states deal with each other because they make decisions based on what they think other states are going to do, um, which is why I think in intelligence analysis it, it's, it's important. 
Um, and it's also, I guess, important to gain insight into potential uh, future policies um, and how they might play out in terms of scenario generation as well. Um, and they can be useful for, for businesses as well mm-hmm. um, in predicting. So businesses might want to know how politically stable a country is before they invest yeah, in it, yeah, for yeah. example. Yeah. Um, so I think, um, I, I mean, it's probably another question whether or not international relations uh, international relations experts are the people that should be making the predictions. But I think prediction does sort of play a part in our in our world. Mm, mm. Okay. Well, look, uh, what, what direction have we gone? We want to, we want to drill well, into like, this. We want, what is the difference between right and let's wrong? Let's just talk or, about Russia. Okay. All right. So let's keep it on that. Uh, it's a bit uh, something to say about Russia. Well, okay. So if I was one, of, first of all, okay, I can tell you what a bad prediction is, is when someone says this will happen or it won't happen. That yeah. is always wrong, right? The probability of anything is never 100% or 0%. Yeah. Um, there is a correlation between people who do that and and wrongness, right? So forthrightness, strength yeah. of opinion, is correlated with being a worse forecaster. Yeah. And at the very least, you can say, well, if, if you know, it's almost like, you know, there's a reason, if a, a cynical way of looking at it would be to say they're gambling, they're gambling on looking like a, a, a profit. You know, if I say this thing that you guys are all saying is happening, isn't going to happen and it doesn't happen bingo i get to i get to tell all my mates in the uh you know international relations club that i was the guy who was right that time and and actually uh you know it's the it's be right one time in a hundred um that's all you need because most people don't care about the 99 times you're wrong they're not going to follow it up and hound you um but you know occasionally you get a sort of you know Nassim Nic- Nicholas Taleb who will s- make an outrageous prediction which will come surprisingly true because they hit the right spot at the right time and you know they'll become a celebrity from it um that's perhaps cynically what these uh people are doing but let's make their case for them perhaps they were right to be wrong about Russia so that's one of the angles that Explain people often that a bit take. More. Well, maybe maybe this was actually a genuinely really surprising and unlikely thing to happen. Yeah. And and if I was trying to make that case, which I, I don't think stacks up for one thing, because Russia was already had already invaded Ukraine before, mm. right? And they were already occupying parts of it, and it's mm. not perhaps that much of a stretch, right? So it's, there's lots of reasons to think that you you shouldn't be terribly surprised by it, but um. I think one of the key, one of the things that Tetlock found was characteristic of sort of super forecasters. So the people who were particularly good at making forecasts repeatably on a range of different things was that they would look at uh, first of all a kind of statistical approach, base rate approach of uh, how often does this kind of thing happen in general? Like how often does one state invade another? Start there and then start asking questions about the spe- specifics of the situation. But the other thing that they look at is interests, like the major powers. What is it in their interest to do? Um, because by and large, people act in accordance with their interests. And in this situation, I think it's you know hard to see what Russia is getting out of it or mm. what they could even have hoped to get out of it. Yeah. There's one very specific scenario, I think, where they gain, which is a very rapid collapse of the Ukrainian government um, and you know an easy steamroller of the army. Um, collapse in morale, replace them, stick a puppet guy in there, hey presto, and before the rest of the world can react. You know, that's the one way I think it could have worked out in their favour. But that's very unlikely to happen. And it's reasonable to think that the Russians ought to know that, that they ought to know this is gambling a lot on that outcome. Because if that isn't what happens, then 
pretty much all outcomes sort of look a bit like what they've got. And what but, are they gaining out of it? At what cost? You know, so like a rational cost benefit analysis ought to say that they aren't going to do it. Well, They're kind of mad to do it. Well, that's interesting, though, that you say that. And I remember, I, remind me the name of the Canadian bloke we had on here, the Canadian military academic type do person. Do you mean Dr. Christian Gustafsson? There you go, Dr. Yeah, Christian. I think he's officially British now. But Yeah. Because yeah. um, I remember we talked about, I don't think we were, we were talking about Russia, and we, we talked about what does it mean to talk about Russia. We talk about them and mm. it and him and yeah. we talk about russia as if it's a person right um but one of and i presume the 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 method that you're talking about the good judgment is how do you assess methods on the other side and decision making on mm. the other side because that's something that definitely plays in to to what happens here because russia doesn't make decisions like like Ch china does well more closely or, or like america or i think that's part of it um tom so this is something that I uh, I thought was quite an interesting topic, and so I looked into it a bit more. Um, if we do accept the premise in uh, Tyler Cohen's article that IR got it wrong, uh, and we want to look for explanations of why, he presents a few that I, I don't really buy into, but one that I think is more reasonable, and this is a blind spot that IR knows it has, is that in a lot of the West, IR is taught in a very specific way. You learn about realism, uh, you learn about um, various different schools yeah, of a normative IR, approach. Exactly. Yeah. That are Western schools of thought. Mm. What far fewer people are taught are different IR methods from around the world mm -hmm. and different IR schools from around the world. So Russia has a very rich tradition of IR scholarship, but it's primarily published in Russian language journals and publications. So a lot of it doesn't actually diffuse out into Western IR discussions. And so I think this comes a little bit to Nick's point in that when we're looking at the theory and what would be a rational decision, we're looking at it in the uh, framework of our own theory. Mm. But traditionally, Russia has a different set of theories in international relations that their academics and their scholars who much like uh, academics and scholars in the West, have influence on government decisions in various ways mm. through think tanks, through official posts, etc. Um, and that lack of understanding between the two, now to clarify, there is some understanding and it's something that has been identified more people are trying to work on it, but it is still an issue. So, um, for example, there are three main schools in Russian international relations, which are Westernism. So that's uh, the sort of thing that uh, Kozarev um, was a big proponent of after the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, which is a pro-West, sees Russia as being at its core Western. Mm. Uh, there's statism, which sees Russia as being uh, uh, at its core Russian and different to the other, which the West is the other, uh, historically the uh, the East and the the Tatar yoke that uh, that uh, the Muscovites were under is the other, and Russia sees itself as independent of both of those, uh, and uh, as such needs various Russian characteristics uh, to its international relations, uh, so strong centralized state, etc. Uh, and then a third is a kind of civilizationist approach, which isn't really something you see that much in Western IR, um, and this is where you get the schools that are along the lines of 
Eurasianism, which is quite prominent in a lot of uh, a lot of high-profile Russian thinkers at the moment, or in the past, Pan-Slavism around the time of the the First World War, for example. And these don't really have direct analogues in Western IR tradition. I'd be t- if I was. I think we're talking about two different things, but anyway, uh, yeah. Well, because I, I, I think something that would be accounted for in Western school of thought, of thoughts of thought of international relations, would be to what degree, you know, uh, um, decision making is centralised or not, for example. Um, and also, and one of the things it would have analysed, for example, the, the more or less rapprochement between um, the US and China, a lot of that was down to personalities of leadership, right? But one, and, and so that's a potentially a positive thing, but a negative thing is it's not in a structured framework. And so therefore, when those personalities um, subside, then you don't have the framework for the for relationship to continue. And, and and so that's kind of what's happening here, I would say. Um, and that was the point I was trying to make, which was that um, how can you predict if you've got an unpredictable um, opponent, let's say, something along those lines, or how they make decisions is different. Have we gone down a wrong rabbit well, hole think, here? Think, Do we want to bring it I on? that is the key. To- a lot of IR scholars in the West don't account for the fact that IR scholars in Russia think about things in different frameworks and make their decisions differently. Mm. Uh, and so I think you're right to raise that. I think that is a real issue in mm. the understanding. I, I, uh, sorry, Jordan, Jordan, I'm still formulating a thought. Okay. So, uh, if you... I, I was just going to pick up from Tom's point, which I think is, uh, I think the Tyler Cohen's article with his blog post sort of brings us to light is that a lot of the people that he references, the IRS experts are American or they're from the West. Um, and they're not necessarily subject matter experts in Russian politics or mm. Russian affairs either. They're ju- they're more generalist, um, and they and they and they sort of weigh into all sorts of different geopolitical debates. And I think that is the, to, to 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 just pick up on Tom's point. I think that is probably one way that his analysis is lacking is that it it, it reverts to focusing on sort of so-called IR experts in the West and and sort of at the and at the expense of perhaps people inside Russia that might have more intimate knowledge of, um, of of these events. Yeah. I've got two things to say. Yeah. Go on. First of all, IR be damned. Yeah. The uh, IC, the intelligence community, particularly yeah. in the US, yeah. nailed this one, right? Okay. And they're not, you know, they're not... I mean, I would imagine some of them are probably, you know, the good old-fashioned criminologists and stuff. Um, but, you know... I suppose what I'm saying is that Russia was planning to invade is not something you require, a kind of detailed knowledge of the threads of Russian historical materialism to get, right? Putin is clearly an acquisitive, you know, imperialist, and um, he's invaded other countries before, and he likes having countries like Belarus at his beck and call, and he's said as much as, you know, Ukraine's a silly country, it's made up, and it ought to be part of Russia. Uh, it, you know, it shouldn't, it's not that, it's not an obscure and complex and weird thing you have to look do, at. Do, that's do so that's to, my first thing. Do you want to interrupt on the interject? Just let Tom come up a very quick response to it. Yeah. Which is that I think that is almost the same as my earlier point, which is that predicting this is an analyst's job, not a theoretician's job. Yeah. And you're saying the analyst uh, got it right. I guess I guess I I feel like I know who I would call if I want to know what Russia's going to do. That's all. Agreed. Um, the the other one the other thing is just it's about this problem of hindsight bias, which I think is 
it's it's so prevalent and and it's prevalent um you know after the event happens was a big temptation to look at it and go um that's kind of obvious that russia was going to invade how could we have been so silly of course they're going to invade like here's all the reasons why they were going to um and and likewise uh, actually you know we can sort of it's there's a bit of hindsight bias going on here where we're going um well, you know, in, in as much as there was uncertainty, what did we get wrong? Perhaps, or, you know, perhaps we should have paid more attention to um, Russian schools of thought about international relations. Let's say, look, let's let's run with, OK, we were kind of more surprised than we should have been. And we we should pay more attention to Russian IR theories as a result. The flip side of that is if Russia hadn't invaded, would we now be saying, you know what, we should pay less attention to Russian IR theories? Because we were right. And mm. it turns out those Russian IR theories aren't terribly important um, because actually our way of analysing IR has won this time. Mm -hmm. Well, no, we shouldn't be doing that either. So we, when things like this happen, it's still only... It, it doesn't represent a hugely informative outcome, I suppose, is, is, is what I'm saying. Maybe and we shouldn't not. be tempted to throw out or usher in new theories as a result. We should say, oh, this gives a, perhaps this gives more weight to the idea that we should be paying attention to Russian IR theories a bit more. And I, I say this as someone whose knowledge of Russian IR is based entirely on what Tom said five minutes ago. Mm. Um, or, 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 you know, perhaps a bit less, or perhaps this adds a bit more to weight to this theory or that theory. But what we shouldn't be doing is looking at this outcome and going, well, this shows that IR is a load of rubbish or that anything else is a load of rubbish or is obviously right. But also, yeah, and also what makes me th this makes me think about is certain questions like, well, what do we want to know? Um, why do we want to know mm. that? And how do we define whether that is right or wrong, the outcome, and even whether right or wrong are, are the correct terms? Um, look, we're, we're sort of most of our way through this. Where do we want to go with this? What do we want to say? What, how do we move it on from what we've said so far? Have we, have, we, have we covered it? We've done it. We've nailed it. Like, should we discuss how would we assess whether international mm. relations got it right, given that we don't have the ability to specifically say, here's a question, predict it. Yeah. You know, really how, how would we assess this natural experiment? Would that yeah, work? Like, so Fraser, you didn't publish any articles, to my knowledge, in any reputable journals, weighing Lots in Lots in all. Russia, but... Why but yeah. did yeah. Podcast, podcast hosts get Russia wrong? Yeah. Well, so the thing is that, that he, no, because he didn't get them wrong either, he, because he, he was silent on the whole issue. Was he more right than an IR expert who came out and said it, this is almost certain not to happen? Or should he just not receive any marks? Should he receive marks for not having said something wrong? That's the first question. I mean, because that's really actually a hugely significant and difficult question in this domain is how do you mark someone who said one right thing once um, or no right things once with someone who said 100 things, 80 of which well, were right? If we're you know? to go by Tyler Cohen's methodology, mm. Fraser got it wrong because, as he said, he couldn't find any IR people who got it right because he wasn't looking very hard. Yeah. Therefore, they all got it wrong. I couldn't find anything from Fraser getting it right, so Fraser was wrong. But also, and I don't know if this is what you're talking about there or if we've talked about it before, but I remember thinking about uh, chief economists at investment banks, um, and people always want to know, um, oh, is there going to be a recession, mm. right? And I remember there was, I forget the name of the economist or whatever, you know, a major bank, um, 
was known as the doom monger of whatever. Because yeah. every year he would always go, oh, there's going to be a recession. Yeah. Every, I mean, he would always say that. And of course, there never was. But people didn't really remember that. What they remember mm. was when there was a recession and he got it right. And everyone said, we should have listened to him. And really yeah. only... Well, there's a, there's a fantastic yeah. quote, which I've never been able to pin down, I suspect is apocryphal, but it's supposed to have been a retiring um, foreign office official in, in the 1940s who is supposed to have said, um, you know, I, I, for year after year, I had to reassure the government by telling them there wouldn't be a war. And I was only wrong twice. <laughs> I feel like that yeah, yeah. Um, so I've got a comment and a question and another comment um, so my comment is actually I'm a super forecaster are you is that correct now yeah so um, I think you may recall that I correctly predicted um, the election of the of the next US president that's right right the most recent the, the, the current incumbent yeah no I think, didn't you get, say, oh, was that Trump-Biden? Yeah. All right, and you went for Biden yeah. because Chris had gone for Trump. No. What happened is, is, um, is I do listen on these podcasts, mm. and, and, all, and you guys made some really good, I felt really solid analysis about why Biden would win, okay? And I went, brilliant. And so I put some money on it. And it was a bottle of bourbon, wasn't it? No, it was. Oh, um, well, that was something else, I think. Oh, okay. Um, and I won myself quite a lot of, you know, a reasonable amount of money. Ah, yes. Yeah? Yeah. Um, which I'd been saving up for a double base. Do you remember that? Um, and now you've got a quadruple base. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did the same. I did the same with this, sort of. Not in, not, you know, I don't want to make light of what's a sort of, you know, not a nice situation. Eurovision, okay? It was really clear to me what was going to happen with Eurovision. Um, and who was going to win it. And the odds, I mean, Ukraine was way out in front in how it was going to win. And I just knew that, and also knowing how the voting more or less works for, for, for Eurovision, that is, uh, the popular vote is really important. And so, um, so yeah, I, I put a pretty substantial amount of money, actually, on, on Ukraine winning. The house. Not quite I, that much. It's interesting. A, fr a frightening amount, well, I have to say, because I, it wasn't worth it, because they were so clear favourites. Right. It's interesting, because for exactly the same reason, I put not quite a lot, but about 20 quid on Ukraine to lose. Because I thought the popular wisdom is wrong more often than these odds are giving me, right? Because the odds were ridiculous. They was like, it was like 15 to 1 or something. It's like, look, they, I'm sorry, but there's more than a like seven percent chance that Ukraine won't win for some reason. You know that maybe there'll be, um, you know, there'll, there'll be some freak. Yeah, well, it turns out that you know maybe the juries are going to be swung by Ukraine, but actually the popular vote. Maybe there's a lot more Russian sympathisers. Or that's the maybe thing I was maybe worried. Right. I, I was worried so about the Russians the messing with or the not system. even or not even that, but even like people who genuinely actually aren't just sympathy voting. Like maybe we think the foreigners. Maybe people take Eurovision a lot more seriously. Yeah. As a musical contest. Yeah, and they love the song from Moldova this year. Or my, exactly. It's an my, my, song. So my my feeling was that well it, even though Ukraine was probably you know, likely to win, it wasn't that likely to win. So I bet against it. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the feeling that, well, actually, uh, oh, I, I'm going to vote on musical uh, merits, but all those other stupid people are going to just vote for Ukraine because it says so mm. on Facebook. Um, I had more faith in people than that. But that faith was sadly destroyed. Yeah. And it turns out people really do just vote on their, you know. Yeah. 
Whereas I, yeah, I phrase McGrew an accurate sort of in tune of, with the people. Yeah, in tune yeah. with what's going on. I might tell you off podcast how much I, I put on it, but it was a fuck of a lot of money. Um, okay, um, so that was my comment question. Okay, so I, I'm not sure if you guys have maybe not Jordan, but maybe you two might have been in the business. Definitely you, Nick, and people have asking you to forecast stuff, right? And I used to do that. You know, that was my job, partly. Um, and so my question is this, what is the worst forecast that you've ever made, right? And I'll start off with mine, which was, um, you know, something that I've talked about before is often we didn't used to like to, to talk about our mistakes mm. as forecasters. Um, and, you know, I used to write about Latin America and make political and ec economic forecasts. And, you know, it, it can be quite difficult to depart from what everyone else is thinking because it's just safer just to stay with that. Anyway, my biggest mistake I ever made was, and I'm actually quite proud of it, and I can see why I did it, and I can see why I went wrong, was with the economy of Venezuela circa 2006-ish, when Chavismo was at its height and you had a massive commodity boom. And I think I predicted that, so we used to forecast um, GDP um, the next two years via, by, and each component by demand. And it was investment. And I think I predicted it would shrink by um, something like 10%, let's say. Um, and actually it turned out to, to, to go up by 20%, okay? Hmm. And, and the reason why I'm quite proud of that is that in economics you never talk in terms of like tens of percent like that it just never happens mm. it's always it might two and a half percent yeah is the answer to everything and yeah exactly and so that's why i'm quite proud of it so like, like i said i thought it, there were all sorts of reasons for yeah, being you were right I, in the long run in that the, the venezuelan economy is hardly the powerhouse exactly in my and, and and so i i couldn't quite understand why it was growing but I, I, well i do it was just such an unpredictable yeah the market yeah. was wrong and you were right <laughs> yeah but the other thing is i would always continually be saying like at some point soon in the next year or two the shit's going to hit the fan in venezuela um both politically and economically and it never quite did when i was an analyst but then sure enough within five years i mean it's horrible sure it's enough five years later the beatles split up <laughs> yeah but yeah it's a complete right. basket case ah. in many ways now and so i was i was definitely right it's just a question of timing um, very yeah. unpredictable economy. Yeah. Um, I waffled on there for ages. W worst ever forecast that you well, made. I doesn't have to be to do with countries and economics. It can be anything. Yeah, well, it was the 2008... Luckily, this wasn't a forecast I was being paid to made, make, but it was, um, you know, a, to a point that I would make when 2008 financial crisis happened. Okay. Um, which is uh, that people... were There's a lot of soul-searching about, is this the twilight of the market economy... And you know, are we um, are we are we gonna you know is this the end of you know capitalism etc. Blah blah. And I and I I was much more upbeat than I probably should have been about the economy. I was saying you know this is a pure, this is like a financial phenomenon, um, which we're seeing. The idea that this is going to have everyone thinks that the markets are the same as the economy, but they're not. Like one is about fundamental production and one is about pricing. Okay, we got the pricing a bit wrong about the future, but. It's not going to actually affect the economy, but that turned out to be incorrect. Um, it did. Um, you know, but plausibly, okay, it was also a symptom. 
But you know, Sorry, I, I think. So, well, how do you mean you were incorrect? What do you mean? So, sorry, well, I, in, say, in saying that there is, I, I sort of said, well, this isn't really going to affect the economy. Oh, okay. okay, no, okay this okay. is going to oh, affect the markets. Yeah, yeah, The yeah, okay. journalists are really into markets, gotcha. but it's not. It's a purely financial phenomenon. Um, I didn't advise the Treasury of that or anything. I wasn't paid to do that. Um, but the the other thing about um, you know, I know, I, I sort of my point was look. The it, people believe in the capitalist economy, uh, economic model, because it works. It's still the, it's still better than any of these other models. Um, but then I, I think we can say that there's been a sort of decade of populism, mm. um, plausibly as a result of the sort of apparent failure of uh, capitalism. Um, but uh, I would still stick to my guns, though, on that. It's still the best system we've got. You know, I don't think those new populist countries are doing any better. But um, mm. anyway. Yeah. OK, uh, good. Tom or Jordan? It can just be about what the weather was going to be. Right? Could, yeah, the I, I, first one that springs to mind is I remember saying in 2019 that 2020 was going to be the best year I'd been alive. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then obviously the pandemic happened. And then another one was I predicted that Arsenal would get into the top four. That's exactly what I was going to say. And that didn't happen either. So, yeah. Okay. And also, were Tottenham in the top four? Yeah. All right. No, no need to rub salt in the wounds. <laughs> uh, Let's move um, on from that one. Yeah. Um, okay, good. Um, well, well, also, I suspect there's some, because there's emotional stuff going on there. And especially with Arsenal, who are clearly a pretty awful team but you can't help but the emotions get in the way of it um tom well yeah i i think the same i think where the i, I generally try to be in the business making good predictions um especially if if nick's asking because he employs me <laughs> to help make predictions um so uh yeah i think i think most of the times where my predictions have been worse are where i have let sort of uh, overconfidence. I've been Dunning Kruger in subject matter expertise mm. uh, scupper me. So whether that be uh, an emotional attachment to a football team, uh, I once put money on Mohamed El Neni to open the scoring for Arsenal. <laughs> uh, terrible bet. Why would anyone bet that? He scores one goal a season maximum. Mm. Um, uh, I've definitely, I've, I've you know tried to make some predictions about. Uh, how things would unfold, for example, in Lebanon's economic and political crises, and generally been wrong with those because you know, I, I feel as though I know more than some people, and so I feel overconfident, and that's a mistake. Yeah, and that's the first, but that's the that's the first step in the journey, isn't it? Realizing yep. where your biases are, and we've come um, all the way back round <laughs> to Tetlock and expertise <laughs> being uncorrelated. But I like the way that you know um, that what we've realised is that out of all of us, I'm the super forecaster. Because of did, the, did, I've got a hundred percent. Realise that? Yeah, <laughs> okay. no, we have. We've all just agreed that. All right. I've got a hundred percent record, positive record. Well, did, didn't you ask what our worst forecasts are, and then talk about how you were really good at forecasting? Something? <laughs> you forecast that the uh, Venezuelan economy would collapse. Only you were only six or seven years early. Mm. Yeah, but no, no, never mind. So let's run with it. Two out, of th two out of three. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. Mm. Okay. All right, <laughs> let's stop there. Um, thanks, as always, for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Nick Hare, Tom Spence, and Jordan Fermanis of Aleph Insights. Until next time, goodbye.